Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I remembered everything but the microphone. <laughs> Tell you, coming off this summer where the scripture readings were like eight minutes, that one's like 20 seconds. I got to really move. Got to up my cardio. So <laughs> good morning. Welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. I'm so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in our West service, you're watching in our East service, or you're online. Thanks for spending some time with us. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm very, very glad to get to, to spend some time with you. Also, especially to be con uh, continuing our sermon series called Teach Us to Pray, which we started last week. You know, this August, we'll be spending a lot of time talking about prayer, uh, leaning on the example of prayer Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to just, just hear my heart for a minute as a pastor. Listen, at this church, we don't apologize for setting some really high and lofty goals. We, in our generation, we want to see God move. We want to see him do amazing things. We want our lives to matter. We want our church to matter. We want you to want your life to matter for God. Uh, but I want you to hear me say, we will never even come close to seeing a portion of our goals accomplished if we are not people who are praying. Prayer is the lifeblood of seeing God move. It is vital, vital to what we're doing. We must become a praying church. So if you're not praying, we need you to start praying. If you are praying, but inconsistently, we need you to get consistent. We all need to grow. I need to grow in prayer. And this sermon series is designed to help us get there, but it's also pointing at a particular outcome. And that is out in the atrium, you'll find that we are selling these uh, for $5. That's just at cost. It's a 97-day prayer journey we want to take as a church. Now, 97 days is oddly specific, okay? So let me tell you where that comes from. 97 days is the time period between August 30th, which is the Monday after this sermon series ends, to the beginning of the Advent season, okay? 97 days. We want to be praying as a church. We want God to move mightily in our midst. All this is, is a corporate meditation on the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to talk about for the whole month of August. So we're going to teach ourselves to pray, and then we're going to dive in on August 30th for 97 days together. Listen, this initiative will not be what it could be without you. Okay, it won't be, not without you. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you to go out to the atrium following this service or sometime in August and pick up one of these for each member of your family, even your teenager, that they would be praying to. Not that you'd have one and you're doing it, that they would have their own, that they'd be praying together. I have a lot of kids, okay? We've taken out a loan recently. We're going to be purchasing these. Okay, so, so listen, even if you're online, you can't get this online, but you can come into the building, you can get it, you can send me an email, and we will mail you a copy, okay? We want this in your hands, August 30th to Advent, 97 days praying together. Do not miss. Listen, this is what I would say. If you're part of this and God does something amazing, you're part of that. Don't miss that chance. Don't miss that chance to be part of what God is going to do this fall. Okay, commercial over. If you have your Bible... Please, and I hope that you do, please take it out and open it to Matthew chapter 6. If you have your phone, you can get a Bible app, turn it on. That's perfectly okay. Uh, turn it on, scroll to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at verse 9, which was read so beautifully for us just a minute ago. As you're turning, let me hold out to you the outline we're going to use to kind of guide ourselves in thinking about this passage. 
Matthew 6, verse 9. Three points, very simple. They go like this. I want to talk about where prayer begins, why prayer ends, and how to keep it going. Okay? Where prayer begins, why it ends, and how to keep it going. Well, let's start with number one, where prayer begins. Right off the bat, I want you to see that Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to pray. That's why he's talking about prayer. He wants us to pray. And, and not only does he want us to pray, he wants us to pray effectively. He wants our prayers to work. He wants things to happen because we pray. That's why he spent time just a few verses before this, which I thought Pastor Jim did such a great job teaching on last week, about how not to pray. Because he doesn't just want us to pray. He wants us to pray prayers that work. He wants us to experience an effective prayer life. So he says, don't pray like this. And then in verse 9, he says, actually pray then like this. And then what follows is a model or an example of prayer. And I want you to notice he does not say to pray this. You can, that's okay. But his point is not repeat after me. His point is when you think about prayer, here's an example of the kinds of things that you ought to be praying. The kind, Jesus will pray many times in the gospels and he will pray other prayers than this. This is not a formula. It's a template, if you will. This is known as the Lord's Prayer because the Lord is praying it. So if you didn't grow up in church, you're not yet a Christian, you've heard that Lord's Prayer, that's what this is. This is the Lord's Prayer. So we want to lean into his example and say, okay, Jesus, how should we pray? And I want you to see where Jesus begins. Now, everything he prays matters. I don't want to pit verse 9 against verse 10 and so forth. Everything he prays is of equal significance. And yet I think where you start something is meaningful, right? Jesus says, pray then like this. And you can almost feel yourself kind of lean in and say, okay, where do you start? Maybe you've tried to pray before and you think, I don't even know. How do you begin? Well, Jesus begins this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in that, in that, I think he's telling us two things that are the beginning of prayer. Jesus says that prayer is born out of believing two great realities, that God is willing to help us and that God is able to help us, that God is willing to help us and that he's able to help us. Let me show you them individually. First, that God is willing. I want you to notice that Jesus says, when you pray, you address God as Father, Father, Dad, Pops, you know, whatever you might think of when you think of Father, Dad, Father, I I'm asking you. In other words, Jesus says, understand the God you're praying to loves you. He loves you. He loves you the way a father loves a child. I thought Pastor Jim dealt with this so well last week, but I know for some of us, the concept of a father is a painful one. Either because we didn't have a great dad or maybe we weren't a great dad. And so to think about God as father tends to bring with it negative memories. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you that in your mourning and lamenting the father you didn't have, which by the way, you should mourn and you should lament, or in your mourning and lamenting the father you weren't, in which case you should mourn and you should lament, you are saying there's something that I should have had or something I should have been. It's that should have had or should have been that you should think of when you think of God as father. 
There's this concept of what it would mean for a father to be loving and to provide and to nurture and to care. It's why we use expressions like, he's a father figure to me. Okay, because we're saying there's something beautiful about fatherhood done well. Jesus says, when you pray, you are not praying to an arbitrary God, to a God who is agnostic towards you, or a God who's ambivalent towards you, or a God who, whose attention you have to try to gain. Instead, when you pray, you are talking to a God who loves you. He is willing to help you. You don't have to convince him. He actually already loves you. When you pray, pray to a God who is willing to help you, who loves you like a dad. You know, I have a lot of kids, and they ask me for a lot of things. That's basically my life. When I go home, it's a nonstop barrage of, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? And I like to say no a lot. But I like it when they give me the idea that I'm the parent they think would say yes. Okay, and they know this and they lean into it. So they'll say things like, hey, dad, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to ask mom this. I know what she'd say, but what do you think about a little candy? Right? And even if I say no, I like the idea that they're saying, dad, my default setting is to believe that you want to help me, that you are willing to give me good things. That makes me feel good as a father. Jesus says, when you pray, presume upon God's kindness to you. Presume upon it. Hey, dad, it's me. I know you can't wait to hear what I have to say. That's what Jesus is saying. He's willing to help you. So listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never prayed, you have no relationship with God, I just want you to know right off the bat, Jesus says, Jesus, okay? Jesus, not me. Jesus says, God wants to hear from you. He loves you. He's like a father to you. Presume upon his kindness. But here's the second thing Jesus says. He's not just willing, he's able. My kids can ask me for a lot of things. There's a lot of things I can't, give them. In fact, to be honest, when we moved from the city into Hudson, I just told them right off the bat, hey, you're going to go to school with a lot of kids who have stuff you don't have, and you're not getting it, okay? I can't afford it, so don't, don't ask me, right? It's not that I'm not willing. If daddy had all the money in the world, I, I, you'd have the nicest clothes and the nicest stuff, but since we only have a little bit of money, daddy has to have the nicest clothes and the nicest stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, so the, what God, Jesus says, when you pray, don't just presume upon God's kindness, presume upon his ability. He's not just your father. Where does he live? He's in heaven. Why is that significant? Because in biblical language, what he's saying is he's above it all. He doesn't share your zip code. He's not riding the tide of culture or fate or current events. He sits above it all in heaven. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's in control. It's your father. Yes, he loves you. He's willing. You can presume upon his kindness, but he's also infinitely able to do whatever you'd ask him to do. He is never impotent. He is never incapable. He is never unable. So this is what Jesus is saying. This is what prayer is born out of, this idea that God loves you and there is literally nothing he can't do. Now that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. But it gets even better. There's a third thing he says here about where prayer begins. He says, first, listen, when you pray, you need to believe that God is willing to help you, that he's able to help you. And then he says this, 
you have to understand that hallowed be his name. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the original language, that means that you're giving God glory and honor and power. You're setting him aside. You're saying about God, there is no one like you, God. There is nothing like you. You are wholly separate from everything else. It's worship language, right? When you pray, you should pray in a worshipful way. God, you're amazing. God, there's no one like you. God, there's nothing like you. And the temptation is to think that what Jesus is saying is that when you pray, you should pray worship and not bother God with where, what you need. But that is not true. That is not true. Because right, that's why, listen, this is why it's so helpful if you bring your Bibles, okay? It's so helpful if you do. Here's why. Because you can look forward a few verses. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, hallowed be your name. God receive glory and honor and power. How will he do that? Well, look later in the prayer. What are you asking for? Your food. Forgiveness. Leadership. Guidance. You see, Jesus is saying, when you pray to this God who loves you, when you pray to this God who is able to do whatever you ask him to do, understand this, this God has also made it so that the way in which he wants to receive glory, the way in which he wants to be hallowed is by seeking your good. Do you see that? Now, now you might be, if you grew up in church like me, you're like, I don't think that's right. I think you're supposed to say things about God. God, you're amazing. God, you're holy. And I don't want anything from you. But that's not true. After all, think about it this way. We spent all summer studying great stories of God's glory in the Old Testament, right? God did all these amazing things. But I want you to notice something. Let me just pick one, like uh, Moses and the Red Sea. Do you see how I made it feel like I just randomly picked that? <laughs> I learned that from Joe. Shout out to Joe. Moses and the Red Sea. Okay, so God splits the Red Sea, right? He, he's the God of the wind and the waves. He's this amazing, powerful, glorifying God. But why did he do that? Was Israel just like at a cookout on the beach and they were like, we're kind of bored and God's like, watch this. No, they were going to die. They were saying, we're going to die. We need help. And God said, oh, great. I will reveal my glory by bringing about your good. Daniel and the lion's in. I'll reveal my glory by bringing about your good. Jonah and the whale. I'll reveal my glory by bringing about your good. Jericho, I'll reveal my glory by bringing about your good. Listen, the God of the Bible desires for his name to be hallowed, for people to see his glory, for people to know his power and his ability and his might. But the way he wants to display that is by helping you. His glory is linked to your good. It's always been that way. Every story in the Bible about God's glory also is connected to the good of his people. So Jesus says, here's where prayer comes from. When you really begin to believe that God loves you, that he's powerful, that he's linked his glory to your good, when you really begin to believe that God is willing to help you and able to help you, then it will be the most natural thing in the world to ask him for help. In fact, Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 12. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is saying that in the fire of prayer, belief that God is willing and able, that his glory is linked to your good, are the logs. They're the starter. They're the match. They're the kerosene. 
And the smoke of that is prayer. When you really begin to believe these things, it's the most natural thing in the world to go. That's why, by the way, that's why in the, the few verses before this, Jesus says, don't go on the street corner and babble and, and try to earn God's attention. Just go to him in secret. You don't need the show. He loves you. He's able to help you. His glory is linked to your good. That is where prayer begins. And yet, and yet, here's my question. I haven't said anything so far, if you've been in church for any length of time, that you don't already know. And probably I haven't said anything that you don't believe. And yet here's my question. How come then we don't pray more? Because the reality is, I think every person in this room would say, we need to grow in our prayer life. Either we don't pray and we need to start. Either we pray, but it's inconsistent. We want to get more consistent. We pray, but it's thin. We want to get deeper, whatever it might be. So here's my question. If we believe all these things and these things are the beginning of prayer, why aren't we praying? And I want to show you my second point, why prayer ends. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the flip side of that is when the heart is not overflowing, the mouth doesn't speak. You see, the problem in the church today is we think of prayer as a duty or a discipline. And so we say, I know I need to pray more, so I'll set my alarm a little earlier. I'll, I'll put an alert on my phone. I'll get an accountability partner to ask me. I'll, you know, and, and, and those things are fine. Nothing wrong with duty. There's nothing wrong with discipline. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think that's really what Jesus is going after. My kids don't come to me and go, Dad, you know, I know I'm supposed to ask you for things. And I set a reminder on my phone to ask you for something and it went off, so can I have candy? Right? They don't do that. It, it, it's, it's more natural than that. It's more organic than that. It's more spontaneous than that because of what they believe about me in their heart. Listen, duty and discipline can help you, but they will never make you pray because Jesus says the beginning of prayer is not duty and discipline. It is a deep abiding belief that God is willing to help you and able to help you. And so here's the reality. When we aren't praying, it's because we're not believing. It's not because we're lazy. It's not because we're not disciplined. It's because the truth is in a broken world, in broken lives, it is often hard to believe that God is willing. It's hard to believe that God is able. It's hard to see evidence that his glory is linked to our good. The truth is we have all suffered. We've been hurt. We've hurt others. We, we've had prayers go unanswered. And the result of that is slowly over time, we don't believe these things. See, the first step in becoming a person of prayer is realizing that the absence of prayer is actually the absence of belief that we stop praying because we stop believing God is willing. We stop believing he's able, and we stop connecting his glory to our good. I can give you a silly example from my own life. Very silly. Just my own life. I've just this summer started playing golf, and I'm not any good, okay? Some of you have heard that I play golf. You say, hey, can we play? And the answer is no, okay? Because I'm not good, and I have a fragile ego, all right? So I got to get a little better. Got to get a little better. But here's what no one tells you when you start to play golf. When you start to play golf, you got to bring a lot of golf balls, Okay? No one tells you this. You got to bring a lot of them because you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. So two weeks ago, I was playing on a course by myself because that's how fragile I am. I'm on the course 
by myself and I did not pack enough golf balls. Basically my entire golf bag should be golf balls, right? It should be like one club, bunch of golf balls, right? So I get to about the eighth hole and I have one ball left. Okay, I won't tell you how much I started with because fragile ego, right? So I have one ball left. I have 10 more holes to go. And I realize one of us is making it to the 18th hole and it's not gonna be the ball. Okay, I will walk there. The ball's not going with me. So I feel this inclination to pray, right? To be like, God, listen, my family's at an event. I'm not cheating the family. This is my day off. I'm not cheating work. I try to get spiritual. I'm out here in creation, enjoying your creation. You know, surely, God, you want me to finish. And as soon, so if you could, you know, I don't know, drop golf balls from the sky, have some other loser like me, leave them around, you know, whatever, whatever. I need some golf balls to finish the round. And the minute I started praying that, and you're probably already thinking this, I thought, that's silly, that's stupid, what am I doing? Now, God might want to be teaching me a lot of things, like hit them straight, take lessons, find a new hobby. <laughs> but when did I become convinced that I was bothering God to ask him for help? I mean, has you ever felt that? You ever felt like you were bothering God? You ever felt like your prayers were silly? You ever felt like you had more important things to do? See, do you see underneath that is really the idea that he isn't willing to help you or that he's not powerful enough to multitask? Later today, this afternoon, following next service, I'm going to take my daughter Ava on a date. We're going to go shopping. That's what we always do. Her mother will give us a budget. We will blow it. And the reason why is because we'll be at the store and it, it always follows that the thing we like, Ava, is a little more than mommy said we could spend. And Ava will look at me with her beautiful eyes and she'll say, Daddy, do you think I could get this? <laughs> Let me tell you, the day she stops asking me that question is the day I failed as a father. Sometimes it's got to be no, right? Sometimes it's got to be no. Sure. Sometimes it's good for Ava for it to be a no. But I want her to believe that I'm inclined to help her. Do you see that? Do you feel that? I don't want her to go home and say to her sister, there was another shirt that I liked more, but daddy's got a lot on his mind. He, you know, I don't want to bother him. I know, you know, it's silly and I should just be more frugal. And I don't want that. Even if that's true, I, I don't want that. I want her to say, daddy, I know you got a lot going on, but what could be more important to you than me? Because the answer is nothing. Friends, your prayers are not silly to God. He has time for you. You're not bothering him. He's not ever overwhelmed. He can handle what's going on in Afghanistan and what's going on in your living room at the same time. You and I must own the fact that we don't pray because we don't believe that. But we're wrong. That's what Jesus says. When you pray, you pray to a God who is willing and able. His glory is linked to your good. So when Ava, the day comes that Ava says, I can't ask my dad for good things. The glory of being a father is gone. It's gone. She's not helping me. She's robbing me. Have you ever been to an event where a father is being celebrated? 
Like maybe a wedding and the the bride is saying about her dad or the groom is saying, maybe a retirement party, a birthday. How does that go? What do they say? Dad, you're so amazing. Do you know why, Dad? Because, Because you used to get up with me in the morning. Remember, Dad, when you'd drive me to basketball practice and you'd always get me a Gatorade? Dad, do you remember our late night talks? Dad, do you remember that time I wrecked the car? I thought you were gonna kill me, but instead you gave me a big hug. What is the child saying? The child is saying is, Dad, your glory was seen by me in you bringing about my good. Friends, listen, not only is God trustworthy, worthy. But when you stop asking him, you rob him of his glory. If Israel on the banks of the Red Sea had said, let's not bother God, would that have made the Bible more interesting or less? Our problem is not discipline. It's not duty. It's not we need to wake up earlier. Our problem is we stop believing. But that means then the solution is, how do we get to a place where we would so believe that God is willing to help us and able to help us and that his glory is connected to our good? How could we believe that so conclusively and so lastingly and so concretely that we would never stop praying? I mean, the Bible will say, pray without ceasing which sounds nice until you think what it's really saying is never, ever, ever stop believing that God is willing and able to help you. How could I ever do that? That leads me to my third point, which is to say, how do you keep prayer going? And the answer to that, friends, listen to me, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, the answer to that is the one teaching you to pray. Because you see, Jesus Christ came in order that you and I might know concretely, conclusively, lastingly, permanently that God is willing and able to help us and that his glory and our good are linked. After all, Jesus came and he did many miracles, many miracles, many miracles. He raised the dead. He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. He even did little things like turn water into wine when the wedding thought they were going to run out. Jesus shows us a God who is able, but those things pale in comparison to this. He died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Friends, let me ask you a question. What could you ever ask God for help with that is harder than raising the dead? Do you remember in math when you would do greater than and less than? Do you remember this? This is the way I remember it, right? You, the alligator eats the greater number. Right? Okay. So, so let me help you out with the math here. The alligator will always eat resurrection. There is nothing you will ever ask God for. Listen, overcoming your addiction is not harder than raising the dead. Putting your marriage back together is not harder than raising the dead. Helping you with that rebellious teenager is not harder than raising the dead. Paying that bill that you don't know how you're going to pay is not harder than raising the dead. You see, Jesus comes and he dies and he raises and he stands up and he says, what could you ever ask God for that he can't do? More than that, Jesus comes and shows us a God who is willing to help us because Jesus doesn't die arbitrarily. He doesn't die accidentally. He dies for us. 
One of the most famous verses in all the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when you wonder, okay, God is able to help me, but does he want to help me? Does he love me? Is he a father to me? Jesus says, yes, that's why I came. That's why I lived. That's why I died. You see, Jesus is the proof God intends for us to know, yes, he's willing. Because if he wouldn't spare his own son, what more could he do to prove that he loves us? When Jesus was arrested, the night he was arrested, and he said, God, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. And he gets a no. He gets a no so that you can get a yes. That's how much God loves you. His own son would die for you. And then he raises from the dead so that God says, not only do I love you, but look at what I can do. And Jesus comes so that the glory of God and your good are linked. Because after all, the greatest thing God has ever done, the greatest thing that will ever be done, is Jesus' death and resurrection. And yet, why did he do that? To rescue you from his judgment. Friends, I know life beats us down. I know life depletes us of the impulse to pray. But let me challenge you with something. As a Christian, you never look at the circumstances of your life to know whether God is willing to help you or able to help you or if his glory and your good are linked. You always look to the fixed point of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given you a place. If you wonder, do you love me? Look to Jesus. If you wonder, can you do this? Look to Jesus. If you wonder, do you care to do this? Look to Jesus, because circumstances are such a small view. It's like Israel on the banks of the Red Sea going, God brought us out here to die. And you chuckle because you know in a few verses, God's going to blow their minds. But they're living in that verse. They, they don't see the next few verses, and neither do you. Don't look to circumstances. Look to Jesus. God loves you. He can help you. And he desires to get his glory from helping you. And you can know this because of Jesus. Well, what else could we do but, but pray? Let's pray together. Father God, what an amazing thing that your glory and our good are linked. That's why we pray to you in Jesus' name, God, because we're saying, why would I ever think that you would care to listen to me, God? Why would I ever think that you would bother to help me? Oh, that's right because of Jesus. So it's in his name that I pray. God, may you receive the glory. Holy Spirit, may you receive the glory as those logs of belief are lit on fire this morning and the smoke of prayer begins to rise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.